All right, guys, welcome back to Revive School. Here we are in Lesson 90, Psalms 128 and Psalm 129. You know, we're going through, it's called the Wisdom Books. Now, if you think about this, over the course of Revive School, Kevin, we've been doing this over a year plus. We started off with uh, the Pentateuch, right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And what's crazy is, I bring that up because those first five books truly set the tone, do they not? They set the tone for... uh, uh, what we're going to talk about today. I mean, the psalmist today is going to talk about everything that took place in, in, in the Pentateuch. And remember, we even studied the historical books. So between the Pentateuch and the historical books, now the psalmist is going to reflect on, crazy enough, all the times that it took place in those years. So this is kind of like one of those reflections back on how do you, can I just say it like this, deal with everything that we've gone through. Now, we're still in what's called the Song of Ascent. So three times the men, yes, 20 years and old, they're, they're required to go back. Now it's always a time of reflection. It's a time of praise. Well, this one happens to be a time of, oh, we're singing because look at all God's taken us through. And yet we've survived amidst all of this. In fact, it's some form of, I mean, it is, it goes back to road trip. It really is. But at the same time, some would call it a, a, a psalm of trust. Like it's a radical trust that we know, okay, look, we have been released from the Babylonian captivity. This is where we're at. But yet in a weird way, we're lamenting and yet we're trusting. That really goes back to the emoji, which we haven't used much. But this whole thing right here really is, it's like a, it's a, it's a chart of like, yep, this would be Psalm 129. Anyway, I say that because I like to describe the book of Psalms as a person who's just communicating the heart. It's, it's the emotions on their sleeves. And uh, the reality is, 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 it's like if you were to write down every single day, you woke up in the morning, you wrote at the end of the night, like, how was my day? You put it in your journal. And then we got to go back and experience Kevin's life. I don't journal. Rich, have you journaled yet since we started this? I haven't journaled, but I can just picture Kevin writing into his journal entry, day whatever. I sang the Psalms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Three times. All I want to just say is, it's like, here they are. They're, they're pilgrims. They're going up to Jerusalem. And how do you deal with this whole thing? It's going to be talking about persecution and suffering. This is what we're talking about today. How do you deal with the persecution and the suffering? And so what we're going to do is in the first two verses, we're going to show you, as Wearsby says, how do you accept it? How do you accept it? How do you accept the, the suffering and the persecution? We're still praising God. We're still trusting him in the process. And Kevin, can you go to the Jerusalem one? Not so much the smorgasbord of emojis. That was good, Rich, by the way. And so here it is in verse one. The scripture just says, since my youth, they've often attacked me. Let Israel say, since my youth. So here you have repetition. So this is kind of important. Since my youth, they have often attacked me. Kevin, it's basically the exact same verse. (laughs) But here's the, the difference. But they have not prevailed against me. Holy cow, Kevin, who is they in this? Since my youth, this is the Israelites reflecting back. Go ahead, take a shot in the dark. Uh, just, just about everybody's attacked them at some point in time. <laughs> it was a promise that it was going to come. 
And oh, by the way, it happened over and over and over. So since my youth, I'm going to just be repetitive. They've often attacked me. Since my youth, they've often attacked me. Now, this is obviously an Israelite reflecting back on how God has truly past delivered them, how he's delivered them in their past. So here's what I want to do. I want to I want to show you how did these men in the scriptures from the Israelites to here it is the enemies. How did all of this fit together? How do they deal with the persecution? It's a matter of perspective. Like, if you know it's coming, then you can deal with it, right? Does that make sense? Like, it's almost like this understanding of how God's going to give us protection. Remember how we talked about this? When you come to the table with clean hands and a pure heart, and you know that God's in control, regardless of what comes your way, you're going to be refined, so what? So that you can look more like Him and give up your life. Like, it's, it is actually a, pro- a progression. So let's get to that progression part of how do I, how do I accept this? Well, let's go to Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Abraham, okay, when he went into the land, and this is the Abrahamic covenant. This is the big promise. In Genesis 12, 1 through 3, the Lord says this. All right, go out from your land and your relatives and your father's house to the land that I'll show you. I just want you to go. He has no idea how much it's going to cost. He has no idea. He's just doing what? He's walking by faith. He says, by the way, I'm going to give you a couple promises. I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm I'm going to bless you. And then I'm going to make your name great. So not only is your nation, you're going to become a great nation, but your name and I'm going to bless you. Now watch this and you will be a blessing. Now in verse three, here's how you can accept it, that it's going to come. He says, I'm going to bless those who bless you. So if you go into the land and they bless you, guess what? Well, they're going to bless you, but I'm going to curse those who treat you with content. So what does that mean, Kevin? It probably means what? Uh, There's going to be somebody who curses you. There's probably somebody that says, I don't like you. But God says, I'll take care of it, doesn't he? I'll take care of the curses. When people, I will take care of, when they treat you bad, when they ridicule, they they mock you, they say things against you. I got it, he says. So just accept it and then let God do the vindication. Let him do the work. And then all of the peoples, because of this on earth, they'll be blessed through you. So Abram, how does he, he just has to understand that God's got it taken care of, which goes back to Psalm 119. Trust the word. God gave him a word, trust God the word. Kevin, if you would uh, think about Isaac. Isaac was persecuted. Do you guys remember who he was persecuted by? I mean, that's kind of an open question. Ishmael. There's no way. There's all kinds of people that you'd say. Kevin, if you would, would you go to uh, Genesis? Well, there's a lot here. Go to Genesis 21 verse 8. I don't know where we're going to start on that one. But Isaac and, and Ishmael, remember this whole, this whole thing here. Says a child grew and was weaned, and Abram held a great feast on that day. Isaac was weaned, and then it keeps going. But Sarah saw the son mocking the one Hagar the Egyptian had born to Abraham. So right away, <laughs> all of a sudden, Isaac is now being mocked by Ishmael, the one Hagar the Egyptian had born. And go to verse ten. So she said to Abram, "Drive out this slave with her son, for the son of this, of this slave will not be a co-heir with my son Isaac." At this point, you guys, there's already tension. You can say it's already happening. Abraham received it and Isaac received it. It goes all the way, honestly, you guys, to verse 21. But Kevin, I want to do something else. Go to Galatians 4, if you would, verse 21. The New Testament actually even talks about this as well. But here's the deal. We need to understand uh, the, the acceptance of this. Galatians 4, 21 through 31. Yeah, you're going to see this tension here. 21, it says, tell me, those of you who want to be under the law, don't you hear the law? Verse 22, for it says, it is written that Abraham too, had two sons, one by a slave and the other by a free woman. But the one by the slave was born according to the impulse of the flesh. 
while the one by the free woman was born as a result of a promise. Verse 24, these things are illustrations for the woman represents the two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai and bears children in slavery. This is Hagar. Verse 25, now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem for she is in slavery with her children. You already see the tension. But the Jerusalem above is free and she is our mother. Verse 27, for it is written, rejoice, childless woman who does not give birth. Break forth and shout, you who are not in labor for the children of the desolate are many, more numerous than those of the woman who has a husband. (laughs) Verse 28, now you brothers like Isaac are children of promise. Scripture says, but just as the child born according to the flesh persecuted, there it is, the one born according to the spirit, so also now. So just hang on there for a second, Kevin. So already the writer Paul writing to the church of Galatia, he clearly says there was a tension back then. And Isaac has to come to terms of of literally his brother constantly persecuting him. Now, here's the craziest thing of this, this big, big picture. Abraham doesn't wait on the promise of God. He takes things into his hands because of of his flesh. It's actually fair to say because of that one decision, because of this one tension, you guys, we still have the tension today. We truly have the tension today of Muslims versus Jews, Muslims versus Jews and uh, Christians. There's tension. Scripture says we need to accept it since the very beginning. Since the very beginning, we have this tension. So now I want to, I want to do a little bit bigger group. Okay. Now to go back to the context of what it is, the psalmist says, since my youth, right? I'm back in verse one. They've often attacked me. In verse two, since my youth, they've often attacked me. This is, but then look what it says, but they have not prevailed against me. There's something crazy about the fact that the Jews have not been wiped off the face of the earth. Story after story after story. Country dictator, country dictator trying to wipe them off. And yet they have not prevailed against me. So it's okay, accept it, as weird as this sounds, but know that God's going to deliver you from it. And so there's a large people group, which we're already talking about, but I think it's kind of interesting to communicate the Jews. The Jews themselves have to accept, hey, this is coming. In fact, uh, the more the persecuted, the more that it actually increased. Do you guys remember the story in Egypt? When they were oppressed in Egypt, the more that they saw persecution, the more that they grew. It's kind of a bizarre scenario in Exodus 1, 9 through 14. They were not destroyed. In fact, let's go there if you can, Kevin. Exodus 1, 9 through 14. He said to his people, look, the Israelite people are more numerous and powerful than we are. Let us deal shrewdly with them. Otherwise, they will multiply farther. And if a war breaks out, they may join our enemies, fight against us and leave the country. Verse 11. So the Egyptians assigned taskmasters over the Israelites to oppress them with forced labor. They built Pithom and Ramesses as supply cities for Pharaoh. Verse 12. But the more they oppressed them, the more they multiplied and spread so that the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites. The Israelites truly had to actually just realize the oppression in Egypt, accept it, but yet know that God was going to deliver them. It goes back to Genesis 12. Even though it's coming, accept that God's going to deliver it. You've got to believe in this. And we'll get to that in a little bit, but let's go to a psalm if we can. Can you go to Psalm 88, verse 15? And it alludes to this oppression in Egypt. And I'm saying this because all of this in Psalm 129 points to today's current situation. Psalm 88, verse 15 says, From my youth I've been afflicted and near death. I suffer your horrors. I am desperate. Same language. If you go to Hosea, Hosea 11, 1. 
From the youth, I have been afflicted. Now look, when Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. So there's this language of, I brought my people out of Egypt. I delivered my people out of Egypt. Now we know in Hosea 11.1, I'm delivering my people out of Egypt from my youth, which eventually points to Kevin, the king of glory. Eventually, all of this of this persecution, accept it because you know the end. Through the Abrahamic covenant, through the Davidic covenant, it all points to the king of glory, Jesus himself. Out of Egypt, I called my son. This is a prophetic word. And so you have to have this perspective, even though persecution stinks. Nobody, nobody likes persecution. Nobody likes a hard word. Nobody likes uh, negative thoughts. Nobody likes beatings. But yet they haven't prevailed against me. In fact, uh, I want to just, I want to stay here for a while because I think there's so much with the Jewish mentality of this anti-Semitism. For some weird reason, I'm going to get to why I believe this. Constantly people are against the Jews. We are not. And in fact, whenever I hear political figures making these BDS statements of let's boycott Israel, let's boycott the Jews, or hey, let's not buy from them, or hey, let's, let's make sure that we put them over here. You guys, uh, that's what they did from the very beginning. We can't be like that. And in fact, what you'll see is the Egyptians uh, in Exodus 14, verse 19, the Egyptians tried to, what did they try to do? They tried to drown the Jews. Right? Is that not true? They tried to drown out the Druze, but the Lord truly drowned out. And this is kind of a cool picture. You know, here you have all these little babies, right? And Moses survives, praise God. So what does God do with all the Egyptians? He drowns them, right? He ends up drowning them in the Red Sea. So even though one enemy tried to do it, God says, I got it. I'll take care of it. You see, even since our youth, God uh, was allowing this persecution to happen, but yet he continued to deliver us. The Assyrians... They tried to starve them in Isaiah 37 and 38. Wearsby spells this out really clear. The Assyrians tried to starve them into surrender. But what does God do? He wipes out the Assyrian camp. He wipes out the Assyrians. And so whenever somebody's trying to do something, God's like, I'll take care of it. Might be how we want it, but God takes care of it. Nebuchadnezzar, the ruler of, uh, you guys know this story, the ruler of Babylon. He tried to burn them up, but God actually delivered. Remember in Daniel 3? Remember the guys? He tried to deliver Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and it didn't work. In fact, he sent somebody into the fire. Belshazzar, he blasphemed the God of Israel, and he defiled the holy vessels. But that night, the Medes and the Persians, they killed him. And so when we hear these stories of this, this psalmist saying, since my youth, he's talking about a big picture, you guys, of his people, of all of these attacks and yet not one of them prevailed against the people. The Persians, you guys know this, the soothsayers, when they tried to throw Daniel in, into the lion's den. And oh, they did, but God actually rescued him, and then the beast ended up killing the others in Daniel 6. Every single stinking time, the enemy comes in and tries to wipe out the Israelites. God says, I have to spare my people. Now, Rich, you and I had a conversation in the car. I think we were in Minnesota when this dialogue was coming. And I just said, honestly, I, I've never put it together why the enemy was always trying to wipe out his people. Besides the fact they're his people. Besides the fact they're his chosen people. But like, what's the, what's the root? Like, Hitler comes in. 
Hitler comes in and truly killed out one of the worst scenarios of all time. He killed six million Jews in gas chambers. Praise God, eventually he was defeated in 1948, right? Just years after the war, 1948, the Israelis, they formed their own nation. But why the Hitlers? Why the the Belshazzars? Why the Persians? Why Nebuchadnezzar? Why are these people trying to kill the people of God on a consistent basis? Why does this guy from Iran, why does the, the general say from Iran, I really want to wipe out all of Israel? Like, why? Why is this enemy constantly going after a little people group? Like, who cares? It's a little country the size of, of New Jersey or Connecticut. Like, why is the enemy so concerned? And it was so weird, you guys. As much as I've studied it, the Lord finally showed me this last weekend. Kyle, duh. Aside from the fact that Jerusalem, we know this. That God said in Psalm 132, this is my home. And that we know that these are his people, so they're going to experience his presence. But to me, that still doesn't work. Finally, what I figured out is this. And Kevin, if you can, this might be a complete rabbit trail, but I'm going to, I'm going to go there. Can you go to Matthew 23, verse 39? It says this, For I will tell you, you will never see me again. This is Jesus talking, right? Okay. He's lamenting over Jerusalem. Okay. In fact, let me back up to 37. He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, she who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together. And I love this image. Remember, we talked about this in Psalm 91. He wants to gather his people. And he says the same thing. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under the wings. Yet you were not willing. In other words, you weren't listening to me. You weren't running to cling to me was the language we were using. And then in verse 38, it continues on. And he says, see, your house is left to you desolate. Like it's not looking good. And so in verse 39, it says this. For I tell you, you will never see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is what the Lord showed me. If Satan, the enemy, can come in and wipe out all of Israel, Kevin, what never happens? Jesus never comes back. According to the enemy, in his theory, if I can wipe out all the Israelis, all the Jews, then Jesus never comes back. Because Jesus says, I'm not coming back until you say my name out loud. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So the enemy is going to do everything he can to destroy this little people group. So that he thinks Jesus, the king of glory, is never coming back. But God says from Genesis 12, don't worry, if they come against you, I got it covered. And so I think for me, Kevin, when I start thinking through this language, it actually begins to make sense. The enemy will look to destroy anybody associated with Israel. Why? Because there's a real unique verse, and I got to go there. If we can go there, Kevin, Zechariah. Zechariah 12.10. Thanks, Tom. Go to Zechariah 12.10. Okay, now watch this. Okay, so it says, right, the enemy, Jesus, not the, Jesus, not the enemy. Jesus says, look, the enemy doesn't want uh, Jesus's words to come to fulfillment, right? In Matthew 23. If you realize that this is what I've done, I'm going to say, bless this name of the Lord. Zechariah 12.10 says this, then I'll pour out a spirit of grace and prayer on the house of David in the residence of Jerusalem. And then they will look at me whom they have pierced. So the Jewish people, God's Jewish people, will look at Christ whom they pierced. They will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly for him as one weeps for a firstborn. So when the Jews realize whom they've actually pierced, when they realize whom they've actually killed, and we're actually talking about, the prophet is talking about Jesus then what will happen? Then they will cry out and say, blessed be the name of the Lord. They will cry out for the king of Jesus, right? That's what they're going to do. And then it goes to Zechariah 14. Let's go there, Kevin. 
Go to start in verse 1. Zechariah 14, now watch this. As the day of the Lord is coming, when your plunder will be divided in your presence. Verse 2, I'll gather all the nations against Jerusalem for the battle. The city will be captured, the house is looted, the women raped. Half the city will go into exile, but the rest of the people will not be removed from the city. It says in verse 3, Then the Lord will go out to fight against those nations as he fights on the day of the battle. So now you've got to have a, a bigger picture, okay? Now that the Jews have cried out saying, All right, we need you. It says that the Lord actually comes back to fight. How do I know? In verse 4, keep going. It says that on that day, so after they've cried out, he's going to stand on the Mount of Olives, faces Jerusalem on the east. The Mount of Olives will be split in half from east to west, forming a huge valley, so that half the mountain will move to the north and half to the south. You realize what's happening. Christ actually comes back where? Uh, Rich, where's my Kidron? Kidron. Right. This is the Mount of Olives. So Jesus is going to come back right here. But this doesn't happen until all of these things take place, until Zechariah 12 and Matthew 23, until the Jews cry out, oh my goodness, we've killed the one that we didn't think was the Messiah. Why do I say this? Because when you go back, I mean, these words are absolutely incredible, you guys. Since the very beginning, the enemy has tried to attack us, but they have not prevailed. Why have they not prevailed? Because of this verse in Zechariah 14, because Jesus is coming back on the Mount of Olives. And oh, by the way, he cleans house. He wipes out the enemy. The enemy knows his time is short. So if he can get any human being to start buying into this lie that Israel doesn't have a future, if he can get any person to buy into this lie, oh yeah, let's get rid of as much as we can that's tied to Israel. Maybe then we can wipe out the Jews. I think it's a fair statement in Psalm 129, though that's not going to happen. Accept that the persecution's coming. Accept it, but yet at the same time, Here's what I love in verse 3. And Wearsby paints a really cool picture about this. He says, though, you can benefit from it. I mean, look, look at the image. Plowmen plowed over my back. They made their furrows long. What's a furrow, Kevin? It's, uh, the dead furrow is where, the, where you put the wheel in to go the next time. And so where they go the next time, it's, it's actually, that looks like a long journey. It's like, this is a long haul. Oh, no, by the way, I'm going to be, this, this weight of this, this suffering is on my back. And, and it's a long ways. And yet, watch this. In verse 4, it says, The Lord is righteous. He has cut the ropes of the wicked. In other words, the actual reins, that, as, as Constable says, that bound Israel have now been cut off. So here you have this image in verses 1 and 2. I've been attacked. I've been afflicted. Yeah, but it didn't work. Oh, in verses 3 and 4, the plowmen were on my back. They're making me work hard. But oh, by the way, uh, well, God cut the ropes of the wicked. So it's important that they pass this down to people because the reality is until he comes back, they got to keep going through this. So if they can hold on to the story from grandpa, they can hold on to the story of their great, great, great grandpa who had to go through this. Man, we're going to go through this until until that happens. Praise God, he cut the ropes of the wicked. And then it says in verse 5, in verse 5 it says, let all who hate Zion be driven back in disgrace. <laughs> all right, so here, <laughs> Wearsby says it this way. Sorry, I have a lot of thoughts whenever I hear, let those who hate Zion be driven back in, in disgrace. It's, it's pretty, I don't know why... Like, why don't people yell their hatred against, like, Ethiopians? 
Well, why do they not yell against their hatred against Mexicans? Or why do they not hate their, 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 their anger against folks from Uganda? You know what I mean? Like, like all these other countries or the Americans, I think to some extent they do, but it's like, let's pick on little Israel, right? That's what they do. And it keeps going back to the enemy truly wants no part of Christ coming back. So if I can keep wiping it out, maybe I'll take care of the coming Messiah. And the psalmist just says, as I'm singing on my way up to Jerusalem, let all who hate Zion be driven back in disgrace. This word disgrace, actually, let them be ashamed. Let this end come to the wicked. I love what Nelson's commentary says. Let them be embarrassed and humiliated. Oh, yeah, by the way, it's not working. In fact, so much so. Here's what I want to think. And, and, and uh, uh, Wearsby writes it like this. First of all, accept it, benefit from it. And then you need to commit to the Lord. We'll show you how this unfolds in verses five through eight. He says, here's what I want. These people who mock Israel, these people who mock Zion and Jerusalem, let them be like grass on the rooftops. I think we were talking about sod today, even at lunch today. Here's what I want them to happen. Let them be like grass on the rooftops, which withers before it can even grow up. In other words, there's these shallow roots. Let it quickly die as soon as the heat comes. Like let them not even last long. Crazy enough, uh, and this is a really an interesting picture. Nelson's described sod as sometimes it was used on the roofs of houses, right? And after the spring rain, the grass might be growing on the house. It might be there, but the grass doesn't flourish as soon as the summer heat comes. And what do you know? There then comes the curse. The curse that the enemies may wither quickly. What an awesome image. And then it says in verse seven, and they can't even fill the hands of the reaper or the arms of the one who binds uh, sheaves. In verse eight, to close it out, then none who pass by will say, may the Lord's blessing be on you. We bless you in the name of Yahweh. I mean, let's face it. Satan hates Israel. Satan hates the Jews. And he's going to do anything he can anything he can to wipe them off, which is why we must continue to stay committed to the Lord. Pray truly for deliverance. And what do we want to do? We want the enemy to be defeated. Here's the big picture, you guys. Uh, can you go to John 4, 22? I just, I just feel like, uh, like, how do you summarize all this? All about all this destruction, all this... Uh, uh, persecution. Why? Why is all of this? I mean, I, I brought out my uh, copies again, you guys, that we talked about earlier when we were talking about Psalm 122, about praying for the peace of Jerusalem and all this fighting and all this fighting and the intifadas and Hamas. And then you go to the 48 stuff and 67 and then 73. Like it's kind of just nonstop. Why? Why does Satan want to wipe this thing out? And Jesus says this in John four twenty two. you Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews. That salvation is Jesus. And Jesus means freedom. And Satan knows his time is ticking. So if he can do whatever he can to keep that Jesus from coming back from the Jews, seeing whom they've pierced, then he can have his free reign as he wants. So why? Why does the enemy constantly going after the Jews? Because the heart of the matter is Jesus is the answer. And that when you believe, and here it is, you guys, that everybody sins, which it leads to death. Uh, sin, excuse me, let me say it this way. Sin actually leads to death. 
then you can actually begin to have this picture of God demonstrating his love by putting his son Jesus on the cross. Salvation is from the Jews. When Jesus died on the cross, folks, this is what we're talking about. Salvation was offered to everybody. And when you have faith in what he did, in his love, you get life. And if the enemy can take away this salvation message, he's going to try. But praise the Lord for Psalm 129. I want to go back, Kevin, to very first uh, one and two. Since my youth, they've often attacked me. Uh, Let Israel say, since my youth, they've often attacked me, but they have not prevailed against me. And let me just tell you this. The enemy will not prevail against Jesus. The enemy will not prevail against the Jews because Jesus is a fulfillment of the word of God. He's coming back. I never would have thought studying Psalm 129 would have pointed me to the Messiah. All right, guys, have a great day and uh, continue to study this. Take it deeper than what you're hearing here. And uh, my prayer is that the Lord would encourage, refresh you, and give you uh, new insight on a regular basis. Have a great, great day, guys. Thanks.